Well, we come to the last sermon in the series on God's providence, and we land at the only place we should land, and that's at Jesus Christ. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, this beautiful Christological hymn, what many scholars think is a hymn uh, in Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae. And so let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Read verses 15 to 20 and be considering this over the next few minutes. Let us hear now the word of the living God as inspired by His Spirit. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him, and Him is Christ, of course, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. For the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. May he add his blessing. Father, this morning, we pray with the Greeks as they came to the disciples. We pray the same. Open our eyes that we might see Jesus. We come to see Jesus, Lord. Father, help us now to see our identity in Him, to see who He is and what He's done afresh, to be ravished. And our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, our affections, and God, be trans transforming us, God. We are here not to hear, Lord, a clever address, but to hear Your Word. We're here to be transformed from one level of glory to another. God, do this in us, what you alone can do for your glory. And God, if there are dead hearts here, and no doubt there are dead hearts that reject you, that do not know you, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit through this word, you would say, live. Let there be light. And the light of Christ, the conviction of the Spirit, the drawing of your Spirit would come. God, they would live their lives no longer for themselves but for your glory. Oh God, do it. Do it today. Do it in this place. Do it in us. Do it for your glory. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The story is told about the great newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst who was a collector of fine, expensive pieces of art. He found a few pieces that he, 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 did not, he did not think he owned, and so he searched the world over and sent people out, find these pieces no matter what it is you have to do. Finally, they came back and they said, Sir, we have searched the world over and we've searched your warehouses. We found them in your warehouses. You had them all along. So much art, so much fine art, he'd forgotten that he had these rare pieces of art in his collection already. He didn't know what he had. Now I'm afraid, I'm open to that, because I'm afraid as Christians that's who we are. We come to church, or we skip church, whatever we do on Sunday, and we, we claim to be Christians, we claim the name of Christ, but we don't know what we have. We don't know what we have. And we find our identity in, in a thousand other things. Many of them, or maybe all of them, perhaps good. We find our identity being a, a husband or a, a wife or a, a mother or a father or a teacher or a, a pastor or a builder or whatever you are or, or a southerner or a northerner. <laughs> or a Midwesterner, or a Frenchman, or whatever you are, we find our identity in everything but where it should be found. We don't know what we have. 
We uh, I meet mean, many Christians today, and I, we may fall into this category. We're on a desperate search for spiritual resources that we have already in Christ. We want something more, something more than the gospel to transform us. We want more of the Holy Spirit. We want some kind of maybe ecstatic experience, mystical visions, signs and wonders and miracles, second blessing or tongues or a higher, deeper spiritual level. We need to surrender more. One great 80s singer put it, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> we already have it. We have what we need in Christ. What the false teachers were trying to teach the believers at Colossae. They needed the help of angels. They needed to keep certain ceremonies in addition to Christ. Oh, they needed Christ, but they needed Christ, what I will call Christ, plus something else in order to be mature in Christ. I think in 2021, maybe for us here, maybe it is Christ plus something else, and maybe it's it's bound up in identity politics. We need Christ and we need the White House or the State House or whatever it is we need. Or we, 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 we need Christ plus to, to celebrate our ethnicity. That's where our identity is found. We see that a lot today, don't we? Or we want perfect outcomes for every person so that there is no suffering. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> Good luck with that. Or perfect justice on earth. Christ plus something else. We need Christ, but we've got to have perfect justice, which we know will not come in this world, will it? For every Christian, for you, for me, for every Christian who's ever lived and ever will live, Christ is King and Christ, and in Christ are all the resources needed for being filled with the knowledge of God's will, which Paul has just prayed for back in verse 9 here of Colossians chapter 1. He said, I'm praying that you'll be filled with all the knowledge of God's will. And that's what we're after, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, in other words, his will, and then everything else will be added to us. We're seeking his kingdom. We're here for that today and every Sunday, aren't we? To seek our, all, everything in him. Not Christ plus something, but to know the knowledge of his will by knowing him. Perhaps more clearly than any ex other extended passage in all the Bible, this Beautiful text establishes the identity of Christ in both his person, in other words, who he was, and in his work, what he did. And you really can't, those two things are inextricably linked. You can't really have one without the other, can you? You have who Christ is and what he did, and you'll see that they, they're often, they're almost confused in some ways, but they're not. They, they blend over into each other. This beautiful hymn, again, this really... Many scholars see two stanzas. I think it is a hymn. And two, two stanzas. And first stanza is my first point. It's who he is. Christ is supreme over creation. We're going to see later he's supreme over redemption. But really that's it. He's supreme over creation and redemption. I see this in verses 15 to 17. Supremacy, supremacy over creation. And so Paul tells us here seven things about Christ's relation to creation. In other words, what he came to do. Or rather, who he, who, who he is. First, he's the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen God. You've seen the Father, right? You've seen the Son. You've seen the Father. Some of you, I look just like my dad. When I go home to Georgia today, someone in, invariably will say, man, you look just like Charlie. And I do. Short, big ears. Straight hair, yep, just like me. That's right. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it was far more than just, just a physical, a physical uh, appearance, right? Jesus is the icon, the Greek words, the likeness or the image. Think of an icon. What's an icon? It's the image of one thing that represents another, right? Icons. His image or likeness of God, Jesus is. Genesis 1 tells us that God created man in his own image, but unlike fallen man, Christ is the perfect, absolutely accurate image of God. This is what he looks like. When he became man, we just celebrated and are celebrating, I guess, the incarnation. This is what he looks like. This is who he is, right? 
We see God, we, we see Jesus, we see God, we see the Father. Not confused, two distinct persons, right? One Godhead, one essence, equal in essence. Hebrews 1.3, we looked at this a long time ago, months ago. A couple of years ago now, I guess. Hebrews 1.3 describes Jesus as the radiance of God's glory. Christ reflects God's attributes in the same way the sun's rays reflect the sun's light. It's not distinct from the sun. It is distinct from the sun, right? But it's reflecting the glory of the sun. That's what Jesus does for the Father. Because Jesus is in the very form of God, the exact likeness of God. And in Christ, the invisible God has become visible. As John argues, and Lord willing, after I get back from Sabbath, we're going to begin an exposition of John's gospel. John 14, and we have beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten, you could insert son here, as of the only begotten of the Father. He goes to say, full of grace and truth, right? Using this term icon, Paul emphasizes that Jesus is both the representation and manifestation of God. Both of those things, the representation of God and the manifestation of God. He is God in human flesh. Secondly, in this hymn, we learn that Christ, he is the firstborn of all creation, 15b. Now, the portion of this verse has been used to great mischief in the history of the church. I have to disabuse students in my Church History 101 class every time I teach it of this heretical doctrine. Many who deny the deity of Christ. And the first was, of course, Arius. The Council of Nicaea 325 met to determine, is Jesus fully God? Is he eternal? Arius said, no, there was a time when he was not. What's wrong with that? It's a cute little phrase, right? There's a time when he was not. It's a little aphorism. And it's the difference between heaven and hell. He was not Saying there's a time Jesus was the first and highest of all created beings, right? Not eternal God. And you meet Arius every time those folks come up on your porch on usually on Saturday, peddling. I think they actually sell their magazines now, the Watchtower Society. They come and they try to convince you that Jesus was a good man, but only a man. And there was a time when he was not. So Jehovah's Witnesses are modern day Arians love to talk about that to them. They get really confused. And one of them gets really angry, and one of them I'll address him and say, are you the trainee? Oh, yeah, well, go look up on your, on your phone. Take it and look up Arius. Oh, we have phones now. It's great. You don't have to go home and look up in the encyclopedia. You know, look up Arius. Because he is an Arian. And you don't want to believe Arianism. They don't usually stay long after that. <laughs> Interestingly enough. But Arius, was there a time when he was not? Well, no, of course, he's eternal God, Right? I mean, this word can, can mean firstborn chronologically, but here it speaks of position or rank, this firstborn of all creation. His position or his rank. In both Jewish and Greek culture, typically it was the firstborn son who had the inheritance, the right of inheritance. Of course, this wasn't always the case. We know of Esau and Jacob, right? Esau was born before Jacob, and Jacob was the son of inheritance. The, uh, the Christ child came through him, the son of promise. In Exodus 22, or rather 422, God calls Israel his firstborn son. That helps us put our Bibles together, doesn't it? Firstborn son, and then Jesus is the firstborn son. Lo and behold, Jesus is the true Israel, right? Helps us understand, right? We're reading through the Bible in a year, which I hope most of you will, beginning next week. We're finishing up now last year, right? If you get in Leviticus, then this helps you understand. Or you get into these Exodus passages and you think, wait a minute. Hear this echo, wow, Christ the Son, Israel my Son, yeah, one and the same. Israel received the inheritance of salvation out of all the nations. And so Jesus is the Son with the right to the inheritance of all the creation. Inherits it all. He's the firstborn in rank, not the firstborn among the created humanity, right? Firstborn in rank, he ranks first. Third thing we learn about Jesus here, who he is in this hymn. 
that he is the sovereign creator. So, for by him, verse 16 says, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus is supreme over creation because he is its creator. He made it. You make cookies, right? You made those. Those are your cookies. Can you do what you want to do with those cookies? You can. You can dump them in the trash, right? You can eat them. Too many of them. Give them away. They're yours, right? And Jesus made the creation. It's his. It belongs to him. We're just stewards of all these things, aren't we? I mean, this is why Jesus can speak to the winds and waves on the Sea of Galilee and say, peace, be still. And what happens? Tell me once that they saw a man do that out at a, he was out and the storm was raging, he yelled at the storm, I said, what happened? He said, nothing. <laughs> That's right. There's a big difference between that man and, and this man, right? There's a reason why he can speak to the whale and the whale spits out Jonah, right? I can tell the storm when Jonah hits the water. We saw this last week and the storm is ceased. That's not Jonah, that's God, right? He is the sovereign creator. He's their Lord. He reigns over the creation. It's likely that false teachers believed here in Colossians that all material things were evil, but that's not biblical, right? Gnosticism. A brand of Gnosticism says, well, the spiritual is all that matters and materialistic things are, are evil. Material, the, 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 the body is evil. God made it and said it's good. The creation is good. It's been corrupted by the fall, corrupted by sin, corrupted by death, corrupted by decay. But it's good. We can enjoy it. That's why you may laugh at me, but I say it. Baseball is a gift from God, right? <laughs> as long as we don't idolize it. College football and all these things. No, they're gifts from God, right? We enjoy these things God gives us because he made everything. We don't worship them. We better not. Yes, not, but he gave them to us, right? And that, that sets us free from a kind of Gnosticism, a practical Gnosticism that, frankly, I grew up hearing about. There was spiritual, and then everything else was a sin. Everything I did out there was a sin, Right? I'm glad that the Reformed tradition recovers that common grace and the, the goodness of creation. We see that, right? But the false teachers, they come in and said that very thing here. They were legalists, of, uh, sort of fourth class, or fifth, fifth degree legalists. Think about some facts. Consider some facts about the Creator. Well, this fascinates me. And just marvel at the wisdom and power of Christ, our Creator. Think of the size of the universe. I mean, it's staggering. The sun has a diameter, our sun, a diameter of, of 864,000 miles. That's 100 times the size of Earth, the diameter of Earth. Feel our smallness here. The sun could hold up to 1.3 million planets the size of Earth in it. Who made the sun? God made the sun. Who made you? Children's Catechism? Kids always say, Dad. <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> Who enabled Dad to make you? God. <laughs> Mom, no, no, no. We're not tracking here. Light. Light travels over 186,000 miles per second. That's getting it. That's getting it. They say where I come from, right? I was getting it. And it takes, sunlight takes 8.5 minutes to reach the earth. And yet that same light would take four years to reach the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, which is 24 trillion miles from earth, the nearest star. And you look out there at night, 24 trillion miles. Think about that. How you feeling? You feel big? You want to stick out your chest now? Oh, man. I don't think so. Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy, billions of stars, billions. Get your minds around that. We can't, can we? And astronomers estimate that there are perhaps billions and billions of galaxies. We live in one. That's why I always tell my kids, God was showing out when he made this stuff. When he made the creation, he was showing out, man, showing off. What astronomers see, though, leads them to estimate the number of stars at 10 
to the 25th power. For you non-math people, and I'm one of those, but I, I even I get this, that's 10 times 10 times 10, 25 times. That's a big number. Roughly, roughly the same number of all the grains of sand on earth. I'm not sure how scientists know that, but I have it on good confidence that's true. It probably is. Think of the wisdom and the intelligence of our Creator. Even the slightest change in the tilt of the earth's axis would be catastrophic. It would cause the earth to be too hot or too cold. We'd burn up or we'd freeze to death if we're exactly the way it is. And who keeps it the way it is? God does. Maybe we could wind up in some kind of permanent ice age if it were just a little different. If we're any nearer to the moon, then huge tides would flood all the land. We'd be underwater on all the continents. I mean, the change in the, the, the gaseous uh, makeup of our atmosphere would also be fatal to life. I mean, a slight change in the mass of a proton. How big is a proton? You seeing a lot of protons right now? Probably not. A slight change in the mass of a proton would result in the dissolution of hydrogen atoms. And this would result in mass destruction of all of life and all the universe. Why? Because hydrogen is the dominant element. You change everything. Feeling fragile and small? That's why I'm, I'm not just trying to show you, hey, I know how to look up things. I'm just saying, hey, they, look how small we are. Yet God takes note of you. Christ died for you. I mean, as awesome as creation is, it is merely God's servant. That's it. I mean, the majesty of creation does what? You hear me say this all the time. It only has what I love to call pointer glory. It points to something far greater than itself. It's, it's designer, it's creator. The house is not as great as the builder, right? Because the builder is infinitely glorious. This living Christ, this sovereign creator, who's doing all these things with all these people we read about in the Old Testament these last 14 weeks. The majesty of creation inspired the psalmist to worship and humility. He said in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him? Jesus said, not one bird falls, not one sparrow falls from the sky apart from the Father. Hairs on your head, and for some of you, these are becoming collector's items, even as we speak. Head falls from your, not one falls from your head apart from the Father, they're all numbered, right? That's easier again for some of you than some of us, right? At least I need hair product, right? <laughs> You're looking at me like that? But that's how meticulously sovereign he is and how he cares for you. The testimony of nature to its creator is so clear, but only willful unbelief can a man reject it. I mean, I look at creation and there's just no way. Evolution? Are you kidding me? This just happened. All this. Millions and billions of years and it just sprung into being. What springs into being out of nothing? Nothing. Even my kids can tell you and I can do zero plus zero equals. And yet they sell us this hogwash Good old mountain theological term that we just can't get enough of. Romans 1:20. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. The evolutionist is without excuse. Theistic evolutionist, without excuse. <laughs> it's a little closer to home. About that later. Theistic evolution. If you reject God, they have no excuse. 
false teachers or exalting angels, Paul's making it clear that they are nothing more than beings created by Christ. The fourth thing he says about Christ, we spent a lot of time on that just to show our smallness and his largeness. Christ created all spiritual powers. Second half of verse 16. Here he speaks of visible things, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Paul is referring to various ranks of angels and Jesus' superiority to them as their creator. Paul, back in, the, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, makes a similar distinction between Christ and the angels. Is of the angels, he says, of the angels, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, the Son of God, he says, your throne, O God, he calls him God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You are King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever. Jesus is not an angel. He is no angel. The creator of the angels. He's above the angels. And in fact, they worship him under his divine authority. Think of the worship service going on right now that we read about in the book of Revelation. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. They're worshiping Him right now. And someday we will join that worship service. And how glorious it will be. Who put the stars into orbit. Who loved us and gave Himself up for us. Rules over the angels and everything else for our good and His glory. Fifthly, all things are created for Christ. Jesus is not only the agent of creation... The creator, he is the goal of the creation. What I mean by this? Sort of catechism. What is the chief end of man? The end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's it. Creation is to glorify God, right? And that has deep implications for our lives that we won't tease out here in the future sometime. Sixthly, Christ is before all things. Contrary to the Arians, to Arius and the modern day stepchildren, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus already existed when creation began. He was here. He's always been here. This is John's point in the first two verses of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was nothing made that was made. To tell the Jews and correcting their misunderstanding of him before Abraham was born, I am. They would recoil in horror and anger because he's saying, Before Abraham was, I am. There, I made Abraham, I made you. He doesn't say, before Abraham, I was. He says, I am. I am. Jesus is eternal, and only God is eternal. Another claim to deity by our Lord. Finally, Christ upholds all the creation together. That's what I alluded to earlier. What keeps the, this all together here? Christ. We saw this in Hebrews 1, 3. We won't read that again, but we see the sovereignty of Christ. Catechism again helps us. What is God's providence? We've been studying this for weeks now. God's providence is his completely holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing every creature and every action. Every creature and every action. He governs it, he upholds it, he is holy and he's wise completely. Every action, every creature. Everything that happens today will happen tomorrow. Every person that happens today will happen tomorrow. By his mighty word, Christ continually sustains and keeps and guides his creation and prevents it from falling into chaos. Why doesn't the sun crash into the moon? Why don't asteroids hit the earth? He's keeping it together. He's upholding it. While we sleep at night, he's not sleeping. He's upholding all things by the power of his might. He's upholding this and maintaining this delicate balance necessary to life's existence. He's doing it. He's the power behind every consistency in the universe, things we often call natural laws. Why does gravity work the way it does? Because of his superintending work. 
How can we count on that? If I jump off the stage, I'll fall because, well, it's gravity, right? How can we expect cold in the winter and heat in the summer? Because of his superintending work? Why do all the planets in our solar system revolve around the sun? Why do we count on a visit from Halley's Comet about every 75 or 76 years? Cooling over every atom and molecule and every blade of grass and every grain of sand, the good of his people and the glory of his name. There are no accidents. We can sleep well at night knowing God is sovereign over everything. I, I sleep really well at night knowing that. I hope you do too. He is. Secondly, verses 18 to 20, what he's done. He's supreme over creation. He's supreme over redemption. And everything in the Old Testament points to this, to, to these things. Six things here. Go a lot quicker this time. Christ is the head of the church. Verse 18, A, first part of verse 18, which is, of course, the company of the redeemed. Now, we know the Bible uses many metaphors to describe the church. It speaks of us as a family. And I hope you're at Christ Fellowship Church. You feel that. We're a family. It's why when you're not here, we miss you. When uh, We miss each other, right? We're a family. A building. We're the raw materials God is using to build His building. A vineyard, a flock, a field, many other things. But the most profound, I think, is my body. Because of the many and various parts of the body and how they function together to help us. It has many, many parts of the body it does, but Christ is the head. And the concept here is not like the head of a company. But in the sense that the church is a living organism that is inseparably tied together by the living Christ, its head. He's our head. Head's important. Without the head, there is no body, right? The body's dead. We know that. Christ energizes and coordinates the diversity of spiritual gifts and ministries within the body. He called his name. What are you good at? What has God called you to do and gifted you to do? Well, that's for His glory. For the good of the body, the building up of the church, the glory of His name. Not everybody's called to do what I'm called to do. You're called to, I don't know, be a greeter, be a deacon. Watch kids in the nursery. You're called to be outreach or call people when they're sick. Everything is vital in the body of Christ. Because you're doing not what I'm doing, I'm doing doesn't mean it's not just as important as what I'm doing. And he's the head. Secondly, he's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. He's the source of the church. The church's existence is rooted in his sacrificial death and resurrection, which provides new life for his people, for the elect. The church. That's what Paul means in Ephesians 1 when he speaks of election just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Yeah, because in his resurrection secures the resurrection of every believer for all time. Because he is risen, you, if you're in Christ, you are risen indeed. At the end of time, you'll be raised from the dead. Receive a body that cannot suffer. Glorious in every way because of Christ, the firstborn from the dead. He defeated death so the death might no longer have any claim on his people with the result, and this is the third one, Christ is preeminent over all. The head of the body of the church is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. As a result of his death and a result of his resurrection, he has first place over everything in the created order. This is what Paul means when he writes to the church at Philippi. I've been looking at Philippians uh, on Sunday nights, some Sunday nights. Zach has, leading us so well on that. Part of what he means in Philippians 2, where he says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above all names, every name. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please, for the fourth truth about his, per- his work and his person. And they're bound up together. Christ is God. Strikes this chord again. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in. Is there a clearer claim to the divinity of Christ than that on the Bible? Get those JWs your door, just have them turn in their Bible. It's a terrible translation, but it does give some things right, and have them read this to you and explain it. And they'll start to babble on about some men in Brooklyn who've got their theologians, and we've got to have them just have them explain this to me. From the Greek. Not only bears God's glory, but all that God God is dwells in him. You want something else? Jesus plus something else? All the fullness of God dwells in him. Why do you want another Savior? Why is it Christ plus something else? Why Christ plus our politics? At the end of the day, who's in the White House? It doesn't matter. Do we care about that? Yeah, I mean, on a level, but end of the day... That man, whether you love him or hate him, in the White House, the State House, wherever, God is sovereign over him. The devil, just like he is the angels. God. Jesus is fully God. That's what Paul's saying here. For Paul and for believers, need nothing else. He's supreme. He is God. No angel can say that. No teacher can say that. I can't say that. No pastor can say that. No president can say that. No hero, no sports hero can say that. No theological hero can say that. None. Because he is fully God, fifthly, he has reconciled all things to himself. Boy, we get to the good news. You can't celebrate the incarnation without Christmas, without Easter. It really means nothing, right? Uh, That's why that our culture will accept the cute little baby in the manger. But they're deeply offended by the Christ of Good Friday. Deeply offended by the blood of Jesus Christ. Reconcile all things to himself. Isaiah speaks gloriously of him being the Prince of Peace. And of course Paul describes him that way numerous times also. It's because Isaiah knew that the Messiah, Christ, would ultimately bring peace to the created order that is captive to sin and death. War and death and cancer and tornadoes and car wrecks and child abuse and divorce hospitals and weeds in your garden and the need for law enforcement, sorry Don, armies, one day will be no because the Prince of Peace will say, Peace, be still. And it will be still. Christ, the second Adam, has undone and will undo the curse that the first Adam brought on all humanity at the fall. No longer will the ground be cursed. No longer will you have to weed your garden. Praise Jesus for that. My garden seemed to grow, I planted the earth seemed to grow, only weeds. Demons and Satan and all who reject Christ will be cast into hell. Will be enforced upon them in his justice. Their rebellion will be decisively defeated by Christ as the conquering king. Popular depictions of Satan is him being there with a pitchfork torturing people. He's sort of in charge. He kind of oversees hell and Jesus oversees heaven. No. God will be in charge. Satan will have his wrath, God's wrath poured out on him as well. Satan and his demons will no longer be able to work mischief in the universe. This is Paul's point in Romans 8, 19 and 20. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because
because of him who subjected it Adam and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God one day you're going to be free free indeed Free indeed, we all will, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pain of childbirth until now. Mayfield, Kentucky, December 10th, groaning, groaning. Every time there's a school shooting, groaning, groaning, groaning. Every time, abuse, injustice, groaning, groaning, creation. That's groaning, can you, you can feel it, can't you? Things do seem to be worse. I don't know, maybe I'm just getting older, but they do, but you can feel it groaning. It's, this kingdom is shaking, the kingdom of man will be shaken. Hebrews said once more, it will be shaken, it is shaking, you can feel it. Oh, but beloved, we've come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Christ will. He says you in Romans 8, and this is what he's alluding to here in Colossians 1. He will set it free. If, if you're in him. What's it going to look like? Well, Isaiah 65, 25. Think about this incredible change in the created order. The world and the Lamb shall graze together. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. What happens when wolves and lambs meet? You ever watch Bugs Bunny? You ever watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? It ain't pretty, is it? The wolf and the lamb, the lamb usually doesn't really fare too well. They shall graze together. There's peace. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not do evil or harm in all my holy mountain. That's where we're going. There's not going to be any death, any suffering. There'll be no more wild kingdom, really. None. No more. It's creation's groaning, but one day it will be set free. The blood that flows in our streets and in the created order, it will stop. And it will stop because the blood flowed from Calvary. thing Christ has done. How? Christ has made peace by the blood of his cross. That's it. And working up to this. Blood of his cross. The central event in human history will restore ultimate peace between God and sinners. Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners. That be my, may be my favorite line in all of Christian hymnody. That's why I quote it so much. We just sing it so mindlessly at Christmas. But we should sing it every day of the year. Peace on earth. Can you even imagine peace now on earth? Mercy mild. God. All this will be put right. Just wait and just trust in Him. If you were outside of Christ, you were at war with God. And there's a teaching in the church, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And there's a sense in which that's true about the loving part, but really and truly, God loves you, but you're at war with Him. You hate Him, and He hates your sin. He hate, there's a sense in which He hates the sinner, Right? We take Psalm 5 and Psalm 7 seriously. But now the Father has reconciled us to him through Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, his blood has ended the enmity between you and God. Because his righteousness stands before God in the place of your sins, pleading day and night your innocence. Because the just died for the unjust. Just paid it all. All to him I owed. Sin that left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You're now at peace with God. 
because of Christ, you have a brand new identity. See how this works? This is who you really are. By the way, in a lot of everything we read in the Old Testament, these last few weeks, this is not God's plan B. Acts 2, 23 and 24. Luke writes this, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is not God's plan B. Like, oh boy, he sort of wrung his hands and said, man, they rejected me. Oh no, what am I going to do? We've got to figure out something. Jesus, what am I going to do? Well, I'll go die for him. Great. And the Spirit, yeah, we'll send him. That'll be great. No, no, no. This because it was glorious. And now you're part of this plan because you're in him. Do you see who you are and how much he loves you because he loved you before the foundation of the world. The full sentence delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God did it. You did it. The hands of lawless men, they're going to be held accountable. It was sin. It was murder to kill him. But still behind that was God and his love, his redeeming love for you and me. Called all things himself, but the things on earth are in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What a glorious picture of a glorious redeemer. God's providence all culminates in him. All the stories we've examined in the Old Testament these last few weeks, and we've just hit the highlights. You realize that, I hope. Really, highlights that I just wanted us to hit. It's kind of how I chose them, almost like personal affinity. Really, but kind of. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Queen Esther, Job, Jonah, all point to God's redemption plan fulfilled in him. Right here in this glorious all one of the Colossians realized that they had all they needed in Christ Jesus. They needed nothing else because he is supreme in creation and redemption. The same is true of you. How would you look anywhere else? Christ must be supreme in your life. Why would you not want him to be? For a long time ago, I preached this parable in Matthew 13 where Jesus tells of the man who sold everything and bought the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. They mean the same thing. You know what that is? That's a secret. Because they've got to have Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. Identity of a true Christian. That's how they have Jesus and nothing else. Beloved, is that you? I assume everyone in this building right now is regenerate, is redeemed, is in him. I can't assume that. I don't assume that. Let's look at verse 21. We're not going to preach, we're not going to unpack this, but he says, and you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, that's you if you're outside of Christ. You're alienated from God, you're hostile in mind, you're hostile toward him. Doing evil deeds, you're doing evil deeds. I don't feel evil, you're evil. Scripture says it. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh. If you're in him, that's who you are. You were doing evil deeds, now you've been reconciled in his flesh by his death in order that we're to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And then he's going to go on to say, if you continue in the faith. Are you in him? Are you in Christ? If you died today, if you died five minutes from now, where would you be five seconds after that? Sure. Are you confident? If Jesus is not enough, if he's not your salvation, what is it? You're going to save yourself? What is it that you need plus Jesus? You will never find true pleasure and true satisfaction outside of Christ. For you are made to glorify and enjoy Him and nothing else. If that's you and you don't know Him, we'd love to talk to you more about this. Please see me. Please, any of the men here can explain the gospel to you. Any of us. Settle it today. Don't go out into the world. We're not promised one more 
second. You don't deserve one second. You got what you deserve. You would be in hell right now, and so would I. We talk about Hitler and all these people. I'd be right with him. Because every sin is an infinite offense against the holy God. Close with this. Isaiah 55, 1-4. This is the invitation. We always want to end with an invitation. No, I don't mean come to the front necessarily, although if you want to do that, you can do that. I mean, the invitation is always this. Come. 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 Everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Come. Buy and eat. I got news for you. You have no money. Even if you're a gajillionaire. Come. The invitation is come. Buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's a gift. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you waste your life? Will you waste your life? That's John Piper's famous question. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Beloved, it will never satisfy. I know firsthand. I tried it for many, many years. Listen. Listen. Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. The gospel. Gospel. The glorious gospel. Incline your ear. Hear. Synonym for believe. That your soul God in heaven Jesus is the Lord he is sovereign and he is the creator and as Job learned the hard way we are not God how we need your grace and your mercy not to live a Jesus plus life. I pray for every one of us here at Christ Fellowship Baptist Church that Jesus for all of us would be enough. And for those who stand outside your grace today who are facing your certain wrath, I pray they would come. The Spirit of the bride say, come. You would draw them to yourself. Irresistibly and effectually. So come and take of the water, take of the water of life freely. Live in freedom from the one whom the Son has set free. Free indeed. Live all out for your glory. Jesus Christ, risen, soon coming King, the one who loved us. Gave himself up for us.